sessions, and I was tired of hearing myself for that. All right, turn with me this morning, if you would, to Matthew, the 16th chapter. And I am going to bring in some concepts and truths with, with fathers, though it's Father's Day. I'm not going to be just a, a Father's Day message per se. Um, Jesus made a lot of statements concerning the Father. And he said in John, the fifth chapter, around verse 19, he makes a statement, the Son can do nothing of himself without the Father. Powerful statement. If we understood that by itself, I cannot do anything unless it comes through the Father. The Bible even says no one, speaking about being born again, no one can come to the Father except through the Son, which Jesus is the door, and the Holy Spirit draw him. So we have access to the Father, but it's the Holy Spirit and the Son that allows us that entranceway. I want more than anything else to train people to understand the things of the Spirit of God, not just to have a place to come and we enjoy fellowship as we do. I don't want to make it complicated because I've, I've been told that I make messages too complicated. And so, and I, I sometimes agree with that. I know that I'm not everybody's cup of tea, but I can tell you that there is a cup that everybody can have. And Jesus talks about the cup of the new covenant, his cup, the cup of blessing, the cup of betrothal, uses several names with that. But I want to simplify as much as I can this morning so that we understand as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, you have rights and you have levels of authority. When I see families so beaten up by the issues of life, and some of them are just very demonic, some things are things we've created ourselves, some things part of just the culture imploding upon us, but nonetheless, that we can have understanding of the truth of the Word of God of how that we are to respond. Romans 8 says what, that if God be for you, who can be against you? Great question. The next part of this is what will we say to these things? A lot of people just think, well, this just happened to me, or this is the way things are. This is the way life is. Stuff happens. Nonetheless is, but if it happens, what do we say to, to those things in response to that? Pastor Frankie is very passionate about the families, as you can tell, and I am as well. So I want to see families become strong in how they respond to everything that comes through life whether it's a disappointment relationally, financially, or physical issues happen. As we move through life, things just happen, and disappointments will come unless we have the tools to know what to, how to deal with them. Now, Jesus went on to say, even in the Matthew 6 in the model prayer, when you pray, pray our Father who is in heaven. Direct your prayer towards your Father in heaven. As I said a couple of weeks ago, that Muslims pray five times a day. Hindus pray. They're praying a lot more than most Christians, the average Christian, according to Barna. And they're praying because their prayers get answered. And we're just praying every few minutes a day. And does our prayers get answered? I know that's kind of a shock, but the difference is they pray to the unknown gods. Even, even uh, Paul addressed that to the unknown gods there in one of the cities he was in because they had so many gods. The Hindus have over six million gods, and the, the, the Muslims, they believe in Allah, which they don't even know who Allah is, which is a demonic structure that's, very, that's actually Baal in itself. 
So Jesus makes it very clear. When you pray, don't just pray to whom it may concern or whatever. God, you know, so you do. Any God will do. Jesus puts it down and he uses the word father, the word pater, which means where I came from. You know your father, whether you like him or not, because he, you came from him. Some of you in this room may not even know the father you came from, but you came from a father or at least one who, who you have your DNA from. So Jesus makes it very strong. When you pray, whatsoever you desire, when you pray, there's first of his desire, and then there's a direction towards our father. A lot of our praying is simply venting to whoever will hear. Even if the demonic spirits are here, and find out we're upset and how disappointed we are, and they'll come, those spirits will come and confirm exactly what we've been venting about. How does the devil know how to attack this? Because we show him. He listens to our conversations. He listens to things that says, you know, what we're, who we're angry at, what we're angry about, what we don't like, and we have opinions about everything, and he has a way of confirming exactly what we feel and think. Sometimes my thoughts, I think they're my own, but the devil just simply presents them as my own thoughts, yet because they line up with how I feel. How more important it is for us to line up our innermost being with how God sees and what he feels and the lens he looks through. Otherwise, I can be deceived in believing anything, whatever I'm feeling from day to day, and just the pressures from our culture that's around us. So when Jesus saying, when you pray, pray our Father which art in heaven, and meaning the fact the creator of the universe, holy, holy is your name. No other religion has ever claimed that their God is holy. They just claim that their God does a particular aspect of life. Just, you know, you got a God of this and a God of that and a God of this who you don't know about this God and he'll take up for this God and this God will fight this other God if you get upset with that God. I mean, it's, it's so much like uh, Greek mythology. But he says, when you pray, our Father which art in heaven, holy, hallowed, or exclusively, Hagias is word, exclusively I'm giving myself to you, not just any God. So Jesus is revealing the Father to us in so many ways. And the, even in, in Luke, the 10th chapter, Jesus makes it said, no, I, the Son can't do anything without the Father I realize that everything I have that I'm doing, and you see the healing and the, the deliverance, all the things that Jesus operated in, I can't do anything unless I see, that's a literal translation, I'm seeing the Father do it. How does Jesus see, who is living in a very mortal body, see what the Father is doing? And that's just what I want us, we've been talking about, looking at, training us to see the unseen. Seeing from the inside out by the Spirit of the Lord, the Holy Spirit reveals everything about God, reveals everything what's going on in heaven. I'll show you in just a moment. The Holy Spirit is the, the one that is in heaven and in earth and also in us. So for me to understand the Father, I need to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal Him to me in a very special way. I was saying this morning as we were worshiping the Lord and and as we were just kind of, it was more of a, a soaking time of just ministering unto the Lord, not just singing the current songs and things like that. If I ask a lot of us in this room, do we understand why we lift hands before the Lord? A lot of you would say, oh, it's a sign of surrender. 
Maybe. Or it's a sign as what we do in church. It's just a charismatic thing. Or it's something to recognize, hey, God, I'm down here. Has nothing to do with any of those, but I can show you a number of scriptures, Psalms 141 starting with, that let us lift up holy hands before the Lord. David said at the evening sacrifice, which is the last sacrifice of the evening at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, which is the same time Jesus was crucified, it was prophesied that they would lift up holy hands, the priest would, at the evening sacrifice. And the lifting up of the hands meant that the priest was to light a fire underneath the altar, put the sacrifice on the altar, and there and have his hands lifted until the entire sacrifice was completely consumed with fire. So part of the teaching the priesthood, which we are kings and priests in the New Testament, Jesus is the high priest. He's done away with low-end low priests. He's now the priest. I don't go to a priest and confess my sins. I have the high priest. I don't go through a, a low-level priest. And he brings us into a relationship that as a honoring him, we offer sacrifices. So when we do that, the priest is lift up hands saying, I am the sacrifice because when Jesus was crucified on the cross, his hands was lifted and the cross was the altar the same as the Lamb of God was put, or the a lamb was put on the altar in the Old Testament, was killed there. The cross became the altar that Jesus gave up for. His hands was nailed to the cross as a prophetic statement. So you can see how all the way through the scriptures fit the pattern of what I'm going to talk about today. His hands were lifted because he was a priest that was overseeing the only sacrifice was pure and holy was his. So there was no priest that was pure and holy that could oversee a sacrifice that was pure and holy. So he had to oversee his own sacrifice. So he said, hands lifted up, extended, and he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. So that place of worship, we're saying, Father, I release all unforgiveness. I release anything that has held me and tied me to something else. Unforgiveness, bitterness, wrath, doubting, all those things the Bible talks about. I'm releasing it to you. And with the hands lifted up as a way of showing this is the training of the priesthood, I'm releasing the sacrifice unto you. So as we're lifting hands, just recognize we're not just doing some kind of charismatic, you know, ritual or something, or the fact is, man, I'm going to keep my hands in my pocket. Well, that's up to you. You don't have to. But it's something about is I want to present my body according to Romans 8, present my body a living sacrifice. I was in one church not too long ago, and I mean, it was, I mean, I would have had to strike a match before to see any fire there at all. And all of a sudden, nobody lifted their hands. They were this way, they were this way, and they were just like, I don't know what to do with these things. And just and finally, I just said, oh, Lord, <laughs> would you just come and reveal yourself in this place some way? I don't even have to get up behind this and even try to share something. If they can't hear you, they can't hear me. All of a sudden, two or three people, I saw them take their hands out of their pocket, and they kind of did this. And I thought, my goodness, we are in revival. <laughs> we, ha we have a move of God right there. They move from here to here. That is a movement of God. 
when Jesus was teaching this, he revealed that he was the one that was presenting his own body before God. This is a prophetic statement. God, I'm giving you my sacrifice of praise. Again, Romans 8, presenting my body as a living sacrifice, holy, exclusively belonging to you. That is my reasonable expectation of serving you. So when I do this, I'm really presenting myself to him. If you've never fully presented yourself before the Lord or you're in an environment that would embarrass you to raise your hands, they say, well, God knows my heart. Well, I want him to know my heart, but I want all the demons in hell to know my, my body. <clears throat> my body belongs to the Lord. I'm, I'm not ashamed to present it in any other way. Years ago, I was, I was sharing on, I was talking about worship. Diane will remember this because she'll remind me. <laughs> that I was, I was sharing on worship and there was a lot of lifting of hands and holding my hands up and talking about the, you know, the Tehillah of God and the demonstration of the Lord. And so I could tell she had her head down like she didn't want to look. And afterwards come over and she said, and a brand new jacket. And I had a tag hanging down right over here. <laughs> Says of all days, I mean, I had guys one had their knives out, and they were all holding their knives out, and I'd have thought they were coming after me. They all wanted to have a shot to come up and cut that thing off. I didn't know what they were looking at. I thought, man, I have stirred up something here that, that can't get past. They're ready to kill me for that. And finally, G Jesus is talking with Philip in John 14, and Philip makes it a legitimate question. He said, show us the Father, and it will satisfy me. Which means if I know who your father is, because Jesus was asking them to follow me. And they said, where are you going? They said, I am the way, the truth, and not where are you going? And but Philip said, if you'll show me the father, then I know where we're heading. Because the father set a path and a destiny for where we're heading. And I think that's crucial in our homes, that fathers can't relinquish the leadership of the Spirit of God, relinquish the leadership of prayer and worship in the home as well. My wife does better than that. I'll let her do it. No, you are in a position of the high priest of your home, if you will, or the priest of your home. Your wife comes along, your spouse. If you're single, then you're it. Then, then take that leadership of the Spirit of God and allow the Holy Spirit to flow through you. And Philip says, Jesus said back to Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Bottom line is, Jesus said, I've come to express or reveal the Father. And to get to where you have access to the throne room of God, you've got to know the Father. You cannot bypass the Father. So how much more do I need to get to know the Father? James 1, 17 said, uh, every good and every perfect thing comes down from the Father of lights. That word is translated actually the place of glory, the outshining of who he is, the Father of lights in whom no, there's no variableness or shadow of turning. So the Bible talks many, many times over and over in the New Testament primarily about the Father. And so when we pray, we need to realize that we're accessing into the kingdom of God the Father. Now I want to pick up in Matthew the 16th chapter, something I started a couple of weeks ago. We'll see if I can finish it. I told you about a dream, and I'm just going to paraphrase the dream for some of you that weren't here. If you weren't, I encourage you to go online. The dream was significant. It's only the third dream that I would ever have any recording of all. And in this dream, I'm, real, I'm aware that this witch has come to, into this businessman, I'm paraphrasing, 
and is controlling his life. He invited her in here. She came from uh, Cuba and Haiti and literally saw her because I was standing at a distance and she flies in literally through the air and comes into this place. I don't know. I'm just standing as a scene. Then the next scene opens because you know how dreams are. They can go very quickly together. And I'm in a retail store and this businessman is there. He's trying to do something criminal there. And they're stealing from the store. And uh, I'm there shopping, I guess. And so all of a sudden I'm seeing this witch steal something. And I recognized her from the other scene. And as I said last week, if she came through this door, I would recognize her. It was, she was the, I recognize her face so strongly. Just give me a minute and see if she's here. <laughs> well, saw something not, not really. But okay, you're in the path. Otherwise, we're getting ready to do some business. <clears throat> and she was stealing stuff, and I confronted her, and I said, I bind you in the name of Jesus. And she laughed at me and mocked me, because that's what I was trained to do. The second thing, when she didn't do that, I said, by the blood of Jesus, I command you to stop and get out of here. And she laughed, and she said, that's what all you Christians say. That shook me. Because everything I knew had been trained was concerning about the blood of the Lamb of God was the most powerful thing, tool, authority that we have. And she mocked me and said, that's what all you Christians say. In my dream, I was dumbfounded and I was confused and I was actually disappointed in realizing there's something wrong with me. And then I felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit inside of me in the dream I was aware of. And he said, are you through yet? I did everything I knew to do. And then he started speaking through me. I adjure you and command you by the blood of Jesus that has been taken into the throne room of God through the power of resurrection. And this witch started screaming at me, do not talk to me about resurrection. And started squealing at me and hollering at me. And I said, through the power of resurrection, the blood that was on the altar, I command you to get out of here right now, never return. And she was screaming and squealing the whole time as she was going out. The businessman was very, very upset when he was cursing me because he had just been taken from him. The power and authority was there. When I woke up, I knew right then the Holy Spirit said to me, you have to understand that the blood has given you authority but it's the resurrection that's given you power. It's through the bloodline that we become who we are as children of God. When you're born into the natural realm, you're born into a bloodline, and that is who you are. But when there, we come into the next level of being born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible seed, so there's a next level, and I don't use the word level lightly, but a next position to realize that the bloodline that we're born into, but the blood that was spilled on, on Calvary that day gave us a right to become sons of God. That's what he said. But when it came into the heavenly realm, that gave us a power. Jesus said all authority and power was given to heaven and earth. He makes two distinctions between authority and power. Jesus' disciples went about doing good, and speaking of Jesus, Acts 10, 30, went about doing good, healing all that were, were uh, possessed or all that were oppressed of the devil. 
His disciples had had some success, but they came across one they couldn't cast out, and Jesus cast them out, and they said, this kind means a level or authority of heaven, demonic level, had, only could come out through prayer and fasting. In other words, you're going to have to really get your heart towards God and recognize who God is before this one's going to budge. So we realize that it's not only realize the blood of Jesus, as great as it is, and man, I preach on it, I believe in the blood of Jesus, it doesn't take away one thing at all, but when he entered into the heavenly realm, then something happened, and it literally was the power of resurrection that now gave authority and power. Let me have a quick synopsis with that. In the Old Covenant, and the Bible says that Jesus came to ful fulfill everything of the Old Testament. Not one thing you can find in the Old Testament, Jesus did not fulfill in a, a symbolic type or shadow way. Just as the old priests once a year would take a lamb, put it on the altar, slit its throat, take the blood that was on the brazen altar, and the idea was to cover the nation for the sins for one year. So in the Old Covenant, covenant sin was only covered, it was not washed away or destroyed. But that would not, the blood, if it was left on the altar, did not cover them for a nation. So the priest would have to take that blood, go into the Holy of Holies after him putting on the, the high priestly robes. No one can go into the Holy of Holies. And there's some scholars that say because there was no seams, the veil was one complete piece that was attached on both sides and the ceiling that there was no parting of the veil, that the priest would have to go there and wait before there was the altar of incense there. And all of a sudden, supernaturally, he was brought through the veil. You just don't decide, I'm going to go in. You have to be brought through the veil. The Bible teaches that we came through the blood, Red Sea being a typology of that. And as the priest brings the blood that was on the brazen altar of a lamb and he puts it on the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant, which I've said many times before in the New Testament, we are the Ark of the Covenant. The mercy of God has been upon us. We carry that blood upon us. We have the, everything inside of that Ark of the Covenant was there we have inside of us today. We are a new covenant, Ark of the New Covenant. And when they put the blood there, at that moment, sin was covered. The nation was covered for one year. So when Hebrews 9.24 says that without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins, then he goes on the whole, and Hebrews 9th and 10th chapter teaches that the bulls and, bulls and goats of, of what they did in the Old Testament only could do it for a year. How much more if that covered for a year, how much more the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, that it is completely eradicated once and for all. Jesus' blood, when it spilled out on Golgotha, I could, we could go back into some, geo, uh, some uh, geography and, and some archaeology and things that we can't prove for sure, but they're pretty sure that they've seen the blood of Jesus on the Shroud of Turin, which was... When he came out of the tomb so fast at the speed of light, it would be like taking an x-ray that it left an imprint on that shroud. And they've taken those and found out the blood is there and it has no male chromosome, only female chromosome. We don't know if that's true or not, but I like it. 
So when the priest is brought into that put there, the nation's covered for a, for a year. How much more does the blood in Genesis 4, when Abel's blood was, was uh, spilled by his brother Cain, the Bible says, God says back to Abel, where's your brother? He said, I'm not my brother's keeper. And he said, his blood cries out from the earth. The blood has a sound and they can even prove it putting on an electron microscope that blood has a sound coming from it and blood also has movement. Blood has a distinction. We know blood, not only blood types, but it's distinction, DNA and so on that. How much more the blood of Jesus cries out from the earth and has a distinction of the bloodline of the Father and has the DNA of a supernatural seed from another world. So when Jesus took his blood into the heavenlies, it was sealed once and for all. Now the blood has resurrection power. The blood has been resurrected. It was not left upon an altar. It was resurrected into the Holy of Holies, which was the, the original. Moses, Moses' tabernacle was a type and shadow. The original was in heaven. And so when the blood was put on the mercy seat at that point, sin and death was completely destroyed and cut off from mankind forever and ever. Acts chapter 2, now the Holy Spirit is sent in the upper room. The Spirit of God comes blowing through that room. Tongues of fire set upon them. So what was happened in the heavenlies through the blood covenant has now been transferred upon the mercy seat upon you and I, and we are carriers of that blood on earth as it is in heaven. So in the power of the Holy Spirit moves and speaks through us, it's speaking by the power of his blood, the covenant of his blood. All right, look with me in Matthew, the 16th chapter. It catches up to that point. Jesus is talking with Peter, and they are in an interesting place. If you've ever been to Israel, they are at a place in Capernaum, and it's called the Gates of Hell. The gates of hell are a very real place. It is a cavernous cliff, it will, and today there's shrines and all kinds of things. Scholars believe that when the, the demonic demons were cast out of heaven, if you will, called the Elohim, they came to earth through this, this area, and it's called the gates of hell. None of the rabbis would take their, their students there at all. Jesus come take a field trip one day, and he said, guess what, guys? We're going to the gates of hell. Jesus makes this statement in Capernaum, and you can pull it up and see the picture on the, on the internet. We did here one time. And he makes this statement in Matthew 16. He said, when he told Peter, I'm giving you the keys and the gates of hell, he wasn't talking about some kind of spiritual theory. He said, we're right here. I'm going to build my church right here on the gates of hell. I'm not looking for an easy place. I'm not looking for a place that's cushy. I want to demonstrate everything that I'm doing and everything that I am and who I am right here at the gate of hell so that everything that the Father has given to me, I want to give to you so that you can function on earth right at the gate of hell. Not a lesser, not, not a lesser Holy Spirit, not a lesser anointing with you is the, is the power of the Holy Spirit to confront anything that's resistant. And a gate of hell, the word hadassah there means anything that blocks light or blocks revelation. Anything that keeps you from going after God with a full heart is a gate of hell. Anything that's a distraction, whether it's of this life, it could be whatever it could be, you can name them. An offense could be a gate of hell. 
A good thing can be a gate of hell. Anything that is a deterrent of having revelation of who he is is a gate of hell. When Jesus asked Peter, who do men say that I am? And Peter starts out by saying what everybody else is saying. Uh, some say you're a teacher. Some say you're a prophet. Some say you're something else. Jesus asked Peter directly. We'll pick it up in verse, uh, verse 16. Chapter 16, verse 16. And Peter says to him, you are the Christ, the anointed one, as that's what Christ is, Christos. You are the anointed one, the son of the living God. Now Peter says directly to him, you are the son of God. Jesus said back to him, blessed are you or favored of you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood. You didn't get this in Bible school. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. No one has told you this. So how would you know these things if no one's told you this? He tells him. No one has given this to you. Flesh and blood and revealed it. But my Father who, who is in heaven. My Father has wanted you to know this and to know who I am. This is revelation to you. Peter has revelation that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then verse 18, I say to you that you're Peter and on this rock, meaning right here, the gate of hell, Peter wasn't the rock. He's talking about this place. Upon this rock, this gate of hell, if you will, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. God has put inside of you that you have the power and the authority so anything sent by hell that has no right to prevail over you, except we allow it to be that way. We have the right to push back on it, and it'll work. All right, here's the next part of that. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom. Basilea means the dominion of the king, Jesus. The kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatsoever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, the interesting thing is, if you counted up all the way into chapter 26. Here Peter starts out, he has revelation, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. In chapters 26 of the same book, Peter is now denying Christ. He had revelation. The revelation didn't take him all the way through because when he was confronted at the point Jesus was being taken and being led up to before the Sanhedrin and and uh, ultimately crucified. And they come to Peter purposely and give him an opportunity. You are the one been hanging out with this guy. And he said, I don't know who he is. Ten chapters before this. Now there's a sequence in there. Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And then he denies him. My point is this. We can have revelation, understanding, and no power to walk it out. Does that make sense? The church world can live in so much revelation and so much understanding and so much teaching, but the power of God is released inside of us when we walk it out, not just having information. We can be filled with information. We can be scholarly and understand the times and seasons and everything about it. But when it comes right down to it, when a crisis hits my family, when crisis comes home, do I have revelation that's going to take me all the way into power, or am I simply as a revelation, I'll be disappointed. Because remember, Peter had these understandings. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. But Peter was very disappointed. I can take you back. He even told Jesus, do not go into Jerusalem because they're going to kill you. 
Jesus said back to him, get behind me, Satan. Good friends, talk to each other. Get behind me, Satan, for you do not have a savor or a taste, flavor, if you will, for the things of God. Because Peter was very disappointed, but he wanted Jesus to stay. He wanted Jesus to hang around because Jesus gave him an identity in the world and he could hang around together. When it came time to pay taxes, Jesus would just take us fishing. <laughs> and there we take the coin out of the fish's mouth and go pay taxes. Anytime we were hungry and Jesus was teaching, you know bread and fish is going to somehow or another hang out, happen. People loved hanging out with us because they got healed. And Jesus was, a, was the one who built an entourage, and they were so happy for Jesus to do it. How about this, Jesus? What's going to happen there, Jesus? Look, Jesus, over here. And ho Jesus' whole mission was, I've come for one reason, and that is to reveal the Father to you, not for me to do it for you. If I've done it for you the whole time, then you've just created another priest where you go to the priest and ask him for whatever, in paying for indulgences. Man, that's a, that's a pretty good gig. Pay the priest and he'll say, you know, go ahead and send. It's okay. Give me enough money and I'll release you from that. He didn't release anything. He has no power of anything. He's only man-made power because man put him in. They even vote on him. So when Jesus was doing all these things, Peter did not want Jesus to die because he didn't want to lose. He was the goose that laid the golden egg. With Jesus, everything's going good. But yet Jesus said, greater things than these will you do because I'm going to my Father. And they did not want to hear this, that I'm going to my Father. It's all about my Father. Because my Father is going to send another one, the Holy Spirit, who is like him, like me, but he shall not only be with you like Jesus had been with you. He wants to come and be in you. Jesus' whole purpose was to training them to be a house for him to enter in by the Spirit and not just to be with them, not just for somebody else to do it for him. He was training them that they would be able to do these things. So here Peter, he had revelation, but he had not moved into the power of that revelation fully. Here's the interesting thing with this. The blood is revelation of the might and power. God so loved the Son, He gave His Son on an altar, and that blood literally destroys the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 8. For this very purpose, reasoning, the Son of God was manifested that He would destroy the works of the devil. God so loved that He gave His Son in a sacrifice that the blood has a voice and would speak out. And that blood, when taken into heaven, all of a sudden finished out all of the covenant, and now it was given to you and I. And the revelation of the blood, as great as it is, and I've taught on it and put it in books, and, and I love the, the whole point of that. But when revelation means, understands that that blood is not just here on an here on an altar that was here on the earth, but it was taken into the heavenlies and put upon the holy of holies, it has released a sense of power that none of us can ever understand, the magnitude of that power. If I understand revelation of that might and that power of the blood, then I would never doubt him again. I grew up hearing about this. I grew up with my mother, Kara's grandmother, she pled the blood. And I said, God, I told my mother, I said, the word plead is not even in Scripture. She said, well, God knows what I mean. 
but it actually is a word that that's not in Testament, but it but means to, as a, a lawyer or a legal advocate, which the Holy Spirit would be, would plead or take your case as a citizen and plead all the rights that you have as a citizen in your behalf. So when the Holy Spirit takes what has been given and was taken into the heavenlies, and the Holy Spirit is now inside of us, He pleads our case not only before the throne of God, but pleads that here on earth before all the spirits of darkness that you have no right to go beyond this level because they're covered and protected and their sin is cut off. Whatever you can hold against them has been cut off. Exodus 12, which gives us the semblance of the blood covenant. When the blood was put over the doorpost, anyone inside that house, whether they were Hebrew or Egyptian, they were saved because the word Pesach, when the angel, and it wasn't God, God was not the death angel, when this, the spirit of Abaddon flew over them, the Bible said the word Pesach was that God would Pesach, or God was the one huddling over the door. It was God who was covering them, not just blood, and the death angel was sent. When the death angel saw God himself hovering over, it had to pass over. He's given us the blood of, this, of, our, of his son, to cover us that the spirit of a bad and the death angel of this world has to pass over. We have to understand this not just by revelation, but have a relationship with him as well. Okay. Look with me in, in Revelation, the third chapter, and I'll connect the dots here. Has anybody ever un understood or wondered what the key of David was? Nobody has? The key of David has been preached mainly about on the area of worship. Talked about, you know, as David was a worshiper before God and one who created the instruments, the key of David was all about that. But actually, when speaking of David, Jesus was called the son of David, was speaking about the government of God. If you went into Act, I mean, excuse me, Isaiah 22 and verse 22, Isaiah's prophesying concerning using that same term and the key of David shall rest upon his shoulders. It's a Messianic prophecy. So he wasn't talking about King David. He was talking about the lineage that would come through him as a king of Judah. There is another king coming and the key of all of Israel will lay upon his shoulders and he will be the governing force of all of the nation. So it's a Messianic prophecy speaking to that. Revelation 1.18 talks about that the key of David has all the keys of death and hell. All right, you follow forward into Revelation 3 and verse 7, and this is at the church of Philadelphia. These are the seven churches. Jesus is the one, Son of God incarnate. Uh, this was about 65 years after the resurrection when John wrote these letters to the, to the churches. And to the angel of the church of to Philadelphia write, these things says he who is holy... He who is true, he who has the key of David, singular. Peter, I gave you the keys, plural, but now the key of David, it changes. The key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Now I want to suggest to you that the key of David, reflecting on being Jesus himself and meaning a plural, that he is now the, no longer keys, but he's the master key. And the master key can open anything and it can shut anything. 
It's not a key to this door and a key to that door and a key of this authority and that level. It is a key, singular, the master key. And it's not just the keys of hell and death, which that's it. But there's a key, one key, a master key. And Jesus, the son of the living God, which is the key of David, is now the master key. And it's not a key that you would dangle around that we've had so many people symbolically saying, I've got the keys. It has nothing to do with that. The key that he was talking about was his blood that was put upon the altar and that destroys the works of the, dark, of the devil and is now is the key of all keys, the master. And by cause the blood of Jesus, he shuts the door of any remembrance of the sin of the past because you've repented and he shuts the door and nobody can open it. That ought to excite you. He shuts the door on sin and the devil tries to open and bring remembrance back to that. The master key has locked it up and no one can open it. So when the devil tries to make you think of all the things you've done, all the mishaps, that has been shut behind the door. It's been locked up by the blood of Jesus and it cannot be opened because as far as the east is from the west, he's removed our sin from us and for God's own to make the choice, he does no longer remember it against us. So we have nothing to fear of the past. It has been locked up. It has been sealed. Just don't let the devil bring something out and parade it around you and try to remind you and let you rehearse all of that stuff because he's got the master key and the only one that has memory of that is you. And so we trot it out at times because we're self-inflicting wounds. And we like to lick those old wounds. I remember when, on none of this. Jesus said, I've shut that. The blood of Jesus, the key, shut and sealed that door, and it can't be opened just as an exodus. When they put the blood over the door, they were sealed inside, and no one could have access to this. The enemy, the spirit of Abaddon, couldn't get to them. So I need, have to have more than revelation about the blood. I've got to know that I know that I know that I'm sealed unto the day of promise it's not about the Antichrist, the 666, because the Bible has more places where it talks about the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, those who have been redeemed, have been sealed with, under the day of, of redemption, and even put it's a mark on their head. And it's the mark of the blood of Jesus that has sealed off the work of the enemy. Do not fear what the devil can do. Do not fear what the past. Do not fear something coming up, behind, catching you behind. It's been sealed off. John says when he has this revelation, there was a door open in heaven and he hears one saying, come up hither. Jesus talks about himself, I am the door. He has sealed a door and he's opened a door. And he has the master key and the door that he opens, no one can, no one can shut it. So he bids us to come, to come and fellowship him. See, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Going down to verse 20. If any man opens the door, that's our response, I will come into him, not unto, but into him and fellowship. Having a relationship from the inside out. Amen. When we understand that it's been settled in heaven, then it's settled in this earthen vessel. We should walk in the might and power of the Holy Spirit and in not only the authority, but in the power to do so. We're in tornado season. I've shared this with you before, but I remember it very real. 
when I was about seven or eight years old, my dad wasn't a believer living in Amarillo, Texas, which was Tornado Alley. And a tornado came up, spun up. There was, we, I think they had sirens that day. I could hear the sirens blasting. And my dad telling my mother, you need to get back inside. And she says, I'm not going to let any devil take my house. Amen. He didn't understand that. All he knew was trying to do what he knew in the natural. And he said, woman, you're crazy. Get in this house. You can hear Grandpa saying that. Well, I wasn't in the inner room. I was peeking out through the window. I was wanting to stand by and see what's getting ready to happen here. She was standing on the porch. And man, everything was green and crazy looking color and that. And she her hands standing up. And she said, in the name of Jesus, by the blood of the Lamb, I command you, devil, get away from this property. And you have to leave here right now. And she was saying as if she believed it. My dad was hearing as if he didn't believe her. And she would not move. And I, I mean, I was still sticking by the wind. I saw it with my own eyes. It got within the, the block over, went over. We were out in the country and went over the top of our house and landed out in a vacant field. I can tell you, <laughs> I was a little afraid of her after that day. And my dad was too. He would ask her, he wouldn't tell her, would you pray? She said, would you go do your thing? I need some help. <laughs> he had a horse that was sick and he needed her to pray for us. So he that hath the key of David that shuts and nobody can open it and opens no one can shut. He goes on to say that this is sealed in heaven. I know your works forever and ever and ever. Now, I'm probably not going to finish this. First John 5, and I'll finish it with this. When you pray, pray with the understanding that you have the key of David. You're sealed under the day of redemption. You're sealed by the blood of Jesus. You are sealed what was slain before the foundation of the world, you are sealed. It's only when I step out behind that that I want to fight war under my own flesh. Because Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Otherwise, my servants would be fighting here. John 18. So when I try to fight here, it's because I think I can do a better job than he can. Or I can, I'm just going to rest in what he's doing up here in the heavenlies. Because in the heavenlies, where there's all power and authority that's given, and it's given into heaven and earth, we just need to learn how to walk in it fully. Yeah. All right. First John 5, verse 7, and I'm done. Well, I'm not done. I'll just stop. <laughs> For there are three that bear witness in heaven. The word witness there is testimony. Three that bear witness in heaven. Here they are. The Father... The Word, because the Word capitalized mean the Word was sent. Jesus is the Word. The Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. Those, those three agree or means they're in concert, moving actively together. Verse 8, there are three that bear witness on earth. The Spirit, notice the Spirit, and the blood are both heaven and earth. 
the spirit, the water, which is a natural birth, and the blood. And these three agree in one. He's saying that there's a natural birth. We come by water and blood naturally. But then there's a spiritual rebirth that brings heaven into earthen vessels. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6 and 7, says, you are earthen vessels, that the excellency of God is not of yourself, but of him. We're carriers, pots, if you will, clay, if you will, that are carrying something on the inside of us that's greater than what we can even imagine or think of. But the devil continually wants to remind us how frail we are and how many issues and problems that we deal with on a continual basis. Whichever one of those voices you believe is the voice that you worship by. You're never going to make it. Then you'll always be worshiping at the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Which means, have you thought of this? Maybe God wouldn't do it this. Maybe God wants to do it something else. There's a lot of us in this room need to get out of our own head about what God wants to do. I think God wants to do I think God could do it like this. I think God could do it like that. He could do it like anything. So quit trying to figure out how God will do it and just simply say, thank God that he does it. I don't want to discard God doing something because I'd already thought of it. If I can think of it, it must not be too godly. Beyond what I can ask or think, imagine, according to the power that works within us. So right now I pray over every one of us that we recognize that we are an altar that the Holy Spirit has come in to invade. And the Lord takes us beyond just, I have revelation of Jesus that he is the Son of God. Praise God for that. That's 101. And I know that I can't get in without knowing the Son. I can't get into the kingdom of heaven and write my name in the book of life without through the Son, the door. But he wants us to go farther than just having our, book, our name written in the book of life. He wants to have life written inside of us. In Romans it said, if the same Spirit, the exact same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells within us, it will quicken our mortal body. I'm thankful that according to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 46 and 47 in there, this mortality, this physical mortality, physical body will take it on immortality. I don't want to just have to wait till whenever to take on immortality. I want to suggest to you right now in this mortal body, there is the spirit of immortality living inside of us. Why not live out of the faith of immortalities in me instead of waiting and hoping one day till it's in. To live, pray, exist, think, serve, gift, worship as if you are already immortal. Because we tend to take on the mortality and check ourselves out how we feel. We ask everybody, how you, how you doing? Everything okay? Yeah, it's good. I don't want to just give, give an update on my mortality. I want to just say, greater is he, the immortal one, 
than the he that's in this world that is coming to an end, that's been shut out from me, but I want to operate in the one that has the master key that's opened, that says the sky is the limit, the heavens are the earth, the heavens are the Lord's and the earth belongs to the Lord, and we're, we're heavenly. He has set inside of us, Ecclesiastes says, eternity. We fear when we're tied to this world, but we operate such free when we know that we're operating in there. Jesus said, when you pray, pray. Let it be done on earth as it is in heaven. Earth is not the copy. Heaven is the copy. Bring heaven to earth. If we understand that, then every crisis, anything that happens becomes now an opportunity to operate in, in the heavenly realm instead of here we go again, another problem, here we go again, here we go again, instead of recognizing greater is he, the immortal one who lives in my mortal body that will quicken this mortal body so that I can become like him. Fear rules and reigns over us because of mortality. If you fear death, you're operating in a very mortal mindset. The Bible says only fear him that can kill both the body and the soul. I like it. For a few weeks now, I've been praying and demanding by the blood of Jesus who has given me identity and who I am now the what I am by the resurrection power. I am who and what. I am a son. That's who I am through the blood purchased me. And now I'm the power of the one. Isaiah 53, he nailed all of these things to the cross, sorrows, diseases, healings, repair, and all those things goes into that. If Jesus took my sorrows, sickness, and diseases, then God help me that I don't take them back. If he has taken things and wiped it out, then there's a tendency of our human nature to take it back. We give him something and we take it back. I give you my sins. I give you everything is. And the devil wants to say, hey, let's talk about it a while. And then we say, we take it back. We're not an Indian giver. For you that are woke, that may be offensive, but anyway, we're not. <laughs> if he's given it, it is the thief that comes to steal, not just from us, to steal from Jesus. The thief wants to take it back 